Also, Steve, it's been a good 15 minutes now since your pre-podcast biscuit. Has the biscuit worn off? Do we need another pre-podcast biscuit? No, I think I'm good. Okay. Okay. It's a risky move. It, It says a lot about the professionalism of this podcast that our preparation simply extends as far as eating a biscuit and nothing else. Hello and welcome to the Jackcast, the Swansea City podcast. I am Gittoth Whelan and with me as usual, we have Steve Carroll and Matt Baraku. Evening, boys. Evening. Evening. Um, For those of you um, who were, well, just to let you in on a secret, we've had the most chaotic of preparations for this podcast. Um, We didn't have a presenter lined up, nothing really prepared. Uh, Had to flip a coin because nobody wanted to present. Uh, And then when we actually did start... um, doing a podcast nobody remembered to press record so that bodes well for this podcast um thankfully we've got some very cheery things to discuss so this should go very smoothly and the main news this week without a shadow of a doubt boys was the swans beating table toppers norwich city by two goals to nil i'll start off with you matt with this discussion because you like i like me we, pre- uh, we predicted last week a Swans win in this fixture. I was quite confident going into this match. Um, were you as confident in the run-up to match as you were on the podcast when we recorded it last week? I was so nervous. It felt like the, um, the playoff semis against Brentford a few months back. So it was really kind of uh, a really nervy day. It, 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 it did kind of have everything building around that evening kickoff. Your, your day was structured around that, wasn't it? Which is quite weird for a, a mid-season fixture, but it did have that feel, didn't it, of the impact it could have on the season. Um, and I said in the podcast last week, I was more nervy of Brentford's attack than, than Norwich's, because I feel like Brentford are, um, are, the, are the best team in the division. They Certainly going forward, they, they, they're frightening the, the, the prospects they have, the chance to score every time they go forward because they just have so much threat. Now, it's a little bit more focused and refined with Norwich, which gives you a bit more of a chance to kind of isolate certain players, something we did extremely well, I thought. Uh, Timo Pukki was um, very quiet for the for the, for the game. Uh, we really starved him of any other ball um, to cause us trouble. And... Um, so it's it's hard to say I was confident because of the nerves leading up to it, but at the same time it was it was knowing that we had to do what we could do. Uh, we needed to approach the game more positively than than perhaps we did against Brentford, and 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 deal with our own stuff. And then we could we could beat Norwich. I knew we could beat Norwich, and and we discussed it last week. So um, I'm just so happy that we showed. On, on national TV, what we can be about, because that was a stellar performance. And I think, see, I mean, in the run-up to the game, I was thinking Norwich, they, they'd drawn their previous two league games nil-nil. I watched them against Millwall, and I thought they um, looked pretty toothless up front. They were badly missing Emmy Buendia. I saw their record um, without Buendia was... Kind of the well, one win in fifteen, um, basically, which is which is quite staggering, um, and I just got the feeling that that 
this was a good time to play against Norwich, as good a time as, as as any really to play against a team of Norwich's quality. And I don't know about you, but I th- I th- it was as if something kind of set in with the Swans in the first five minutes that they quickly realised this was a good time to play Norwich. And whereas against Brentford, I think the opposition came out really, really quickly, passing the ball around, putting us under pressure early on, and that kind of set the tone and put us on the back foot um, throughout the match. On this occasion, Norwich didn't really click. They weren't particularly good uh, in, in possession in those opening stages. Um, they looked a bit unsure of themselves. And I think, I, I don't know about you, but for me, it just looked like the Swans kind of decided, do you know what, this is there to be won. And they they just started playing on the front foot, playing positively, passing it around. And that that set the tone for the remainder of the match. It did seem like that, didn't it? I mean, obviously, I, I didn't predict a win like you two uh, last week. And uh, I'm more than happy to be proved wrong, of course. But I think, obviously, the my, my fear was that we would be negative like the Brentford game. But... As you say, it wasn't really like that. We didn't really go gung-ho or anything, but we, we approached it quite well. We were positive when we had the opportunity, and then when uh, the opposition had the ball, we were difficult to break down. So, yeah, I think we probably did gain um, from confidence. I mean, I, I wasn't hugely impressed with uh, with Norwich. Uh, I, as you say, I think they really did miss Buendia. I thought Cantwell was by far the most dangerous player that they had, but um, to be fair, when we got our chances, we did look threatening, and obviously the... Uh, we scored at the perfect time, really, didn't we? Just before the break. Matt, did we deserve the win? And uh, that, sorry, to go ahead of that stage. And um, I mean, it, it summed up the night, really, didn't it? That 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 goal came from a mistake from Tim Cruel, who is one of the best goalkeepers in this division. But but on this night, of course, you know, a relatively routine cross. He didn't collect it, and the rest is history. And of course, the Swans took the lead just before half time. Um, Matt, do you think we deserved that goal at that time? And um, you know, it, it came from it. Well, I guess it said a lot about the night and the way things were going. That it came from a mistake from Tim Kroll, one of the best keepers in the division. But on on this occasion, you know, he couldn't deal with a routine cross, um, dropped it, and and the rest is history. Yeah, I think uh, I think Daniel Farker said, didn't he, in his post-match comments, that these sorts of games can be decided by uh, such fine margins and um, these small details, which which is true, to be fair, because on another day he catches that corner and um, the danger's gone. But, uh, no, it, it, I think we deserved it. I think we were asking the right questions. Yeah, Norwich weren't without threat themselves. They did, uh, they did when they created the space in midfield for Campwell, it's an odd one. I was saying to Steve and, and, and some other guys on, on, on Friday night, actually, that Campwell, he's very he's very much for me. He's quite a, a luxury up there in that when he gets the ball, he can make things happen. He can cut open your yep. defence and create. And as, as Steve said, he's a, he's a massive danger uh, for, for our defence. But also, when we had the ball, he seemed to be quite a bit of a passenger he didn't do a lot of track, and he reminded me quite a bit of a, a Selena or a Stephen Dorby type, where you want him on the ball in the final third. Um, but outside of that, he didn't seem to fancy doing a lot of running or a lot of support work for his teammates, which, you know, may be tactical. Um, but it did allow us to have a little bit more of a breather space then when we did get the ball. Um, the game was fairly even, I think, Uh well, it looked simple, and it probably 
it probably I'm overplaying this a bit, but the goal from A reminded me a lot of his first goal for us against uh, Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, whereas everyone in the po- in the box was panicking. He was the man to keep a cool head and uh, and make sure it was um, you know slotted away uh, nicely into the corner. So it it did set the tone, as you say, Tim Krul. It it did come from a chance uh, the corner because uh, it was a shot goal bound shot from Hurahan that was blocked out. Uh, by Max Aaron, so we weren't without chance. We weren't without chances. We certainly were creating, and they were too. I was just happy that we took the lead in a close game, and uh, I think from there on, really speaking, were we under that much threat? I don't think so. No, absolutely not. And and Steve, when we made it two 0 it, it really felt comfortable then. And let's just talk about Conor Horahan. Um, three goals in three league games. I think we all expected him to be a, a brilliant signing, a real game changer. But did we really expect this from him? But you can never expect three goals in in three games from a new signing, even if it's from a striker, really. So, yeah, it, it really is proven to be a game changer, isn't it, at the moment? And obviously, it's the it's the fact that he's different to what we've already got. I mean, I don't think anybody else in our side would have um, scored a goal like that on Friday. I mean, when you look at the goal that was scored... Um, by him at Rotherham as well and it, he's just making such a difference for us isn't he and obviously the the Brentford goal from a set piece he you know he's going to be huge uh, I think there's a genuine case for saying that in January no club uh, made a better signing than us when it came to bringing him in so yeah it's it's a huge signing isn't it and it's um, you know we're reaping the rewards already and, and long may it continue really because yeah, he could really be the difference between us winning promotion or not. I think it is that much of a, a key signing. And and it was a very complete performance after that. You know, two 0 up, we we just don't concede those kind of leads. Um and and you know, kept a clean sheet, um, kept Norwich quiet. Um Connor Horahan Matt got the uh, man of the match award from Sky, but I, I thought any number of players could have had it. I mean, who were the ones who, who stood out for you in, in this fantastic team performance? I would say we say it time and time again, don't we? But the the centre back duo in particularly of, of Gehi and Bennett, and there's always a another, whether it be Norton or Cabango, Norton possibly had one of his best games in a Swan shirt, considering, I think in context, considering he comes from that stupid red card he received a week or so ago, um, and, and how much pressure that would have put on him in such a big game to be given the confidence or given the faith of the manager when it was probably expected that a Cabango would play, he played fantastically well um, in context. Personally, Bennett and Gehi could lead me into any battle because I just know absolutely um, the safest pair of defenders in this division and just just phenomenal talents, the pair of them. And, and so different, but so complimentary as well. Uh, Gehi is, is, is a very... Uh, is a, is, obviously, he's, he's built like an ox, but he's got a very good future in the game as well as a, as a footballing defender. Bennett is a lot more old school and he does the old the, the dirty things so brilliantly and he's happy to throw his body in the line and and, and do the ugly things well. So uh, I, I love them too. And um small mention as well for for for, for uh Jordan Morris who came on uh late on in the game and should have had a penalty. So God alive, yeah. You know, we often talk about bad refereeing decisions, but I really have no idea what the referee 
thought he saw in that instant because it, it, I, I I could not think of a more blatant penalty in a season. I really can't. No, no, it was it was it was clear as day that he was uh, you know he he was fouled in the box. But I like him and I like the fact we'll talk about the championship as a as a as a division in a little bit. But uh, I like the fact that he is looks like a ready-made option off the bench. Um, he's unfortunate in that our form means he's not been thrust straight into the action um, and he's had to make do with minutes here and there. But when he has come on the pitch, he's looked a danger, he's looked lively, he's looked a threat. You don't always get that when you come off the bench and you have to get up to speed with a game with only 10 minutes left. He looks like a real you know, a real option from the bench, which is important when you've got so many games in a short space of time. And Steve, same question for you, really. Who who stood out for you? Who are the who are the stars of the show? Um, Gray springs to mind again. Just absolute colossal defender for us, really. Um, hopefully, he'll go up and he'll be here next year because I think that would be uh, brilliant for everybody if he was. Um, thought Jay Fulton was really good again. Sort of does the the hard yards, should we say? Um, but to be fair, it'd be hard to pick anyone out who didn't play well. I thought everybody contributed really even if they they didn't necessarily provide let's use like Jamal Lowe for example who didn't really get much of a chance in front of goal but the, the effort and everything was there from from everybody wasn't it so I think everyone deserves a pat on the back it was a, a great team performance and as you said after the second went in you just never feel that this team is going to let a lead like that slip it's uh, quite rare really that uh, you feel so comfortable watching the Swans see out a lead so they deserve huge compliments for that uh, absolutely, I, and I'm I'm glad you named a couple of those players there. I thought Bennett was was a machine at the back. Really, Norton is a player who um, made a real statement. I feel because he was sent off against Brentford in in a really silly way, two very stupid yellow cards, um, and and he clearly cl- cracked under the pressure. But you know he was thrown back in uh, on Friday night against a former club, against the top team in the league. And um, oh, I, he didn't put a foot wrong. He was absolutely superb. Another player who I think is, has really, really stood up recently and um, his form has just been fantastic is, is Matt Grimes for me. Um, it's often said that he kind of benefits from kind of competition and people said that he improved after being dropped earlier on in the season. Um, I mean, there may be I, I don't know how true that is, but it definitely seems as though his game is up since Conor Horahan came on, on the stage. Um, and I just think he, he does so much simple work very, very well for Swansea. Um, I thought he was fantastic as well. But but like you've both said, I mean, everybody was just, was just outstanding. And it, it was a, an absolutely brilliant night. And... Uh, it's a night that, um, well, it, it changes the uh, the situation at the top of the table um, quite significantly, boys. Because, um, well, we've dragged basically Norwich back into back into play now, um, and and you know, it, Steve, how how do you see the situation at the top of the table at the moment, and and where do we rank in terms of kind of favourites to to finish in those top two? I do think it's starting to look like two from three, but I don't think it is quite that clear cut at this stage. I would say Norwich and Brentford probably are the two favourites. Then you'd probably say we're starting to become the third favourite. I mean, you would have said the likes of Watford were probably more favourable than us at one time, but 
obviously there is starting to uh, become a little bit of a gap there. I think Reading, similar to us, and uh, a little bit of the underdogs, obviously made a great start, and they're still in there now. So, you know, I, I think for me that Norwich and Brentford are the the favourites. I mean, I think the way Brentford are playing, I think they could well go top quite soon, and they really are on a roll, aren't they? And I think they've they're probably the the outright favourites, and then I'd say it's Norwich. But um, you know, I, I think not being the favourite sort of suits us. I mean, there's not as a great deal of pressure on us. So um, that hopefully is going to um, suit us. I mean, there's there's a long way to go, isn't there? I think it's a good thing that we've played Brentford and Norwich twice now. That gets that out of the way. Yeah. Um, obviously, we've still got to play a few of the other sides around us. But um, yeah, I would say we're, we're not the favourites, but that's not necessarily um, a bad thing. But Either way, you'd have to say we are realistically now in with a good chance and it's starting to get to the point, I think, where if we don't get top two, we are going to be a little bit disappointed. Matt, would you agree with that? Is, would, would finishing third represent a disappointment at the, by this stage? I know he shares a lot of the... Uh, he shares his initials and his first name with Steve Cooper, but Steve Carroll is sounding a lot like him there. Don't play in the Swans' chances... Uh, by saying we're not uh, we're not we're not favourites for the top two, uh, we do have a game in hand on Norwich, and um, that would put us above them. And I think if the game's in hand, if the game's in hand, we'll play them. That's and Brentford won them. It would be um, fifty-seven to Brentford, uh, fifty-six to us, and fifty-five to Norwich, which will put them in the third place. So I think you've got to consider us real contenders for the top two. Our form is like as you mentioned a couple of times in recent podcasts. Gitto is very similar to Brentford's in a, in a points tally over the last 10 games or so. So it's really positive from us. Um, our strength in depth now is what fills me with confidence. And I know it, you can always fall flat on your face saying this, but I talked about uh, Jordan Morris. I talked about him being a ready-made option off the bench. We spoke about Kyle Norton playing so well. Uh, against Norwich, but then if it's not Norton, or if you pick up a knock, you've got Ben Cabango, or you've got Joel Latibaudier, two starters, as far as I'm concerned, the two players who could start and you wouldn't blink an eye. You know, Ariola has just come in, who knows where he's going to play? He was a defender, then he was a winger, now he's a forward, so um, you know, it's another player who's come in to add strength and depth there. Uh, we signed a couple of other players as well, Whitaker. Uh, we've got options for the future as well. But it's the fact that when you've got the grill and fixture list, you're just worried about what if our players pick up a knock? What if they just dip off form? And it's about making sure you have people that can come in and stake a claim for a, a starting position. And there, there are players on the bench now. We know we've got the strength in midfield. There's players who just haven't had game time because we've got the strength there. And now we've filled in the gaps around the pitch as well. Um, we are. We're very much in with a shout. Uh, for me... As it stands today, it's Swansea and Brentford who are favourites to the top two, and Norwich, who've looked a little shaky without Wendia, perhaps shown their hand a little bit in the fact that if you can keep Wendia quiet or off the pitch, I know it's easier said than done, but if you can keep him quiet, then clearly they're not the threat that they are with him firing all cylinders. So there's something to target there for future opposition, not as clear cut from a Brentford and Swansea perspective. So... I'm, I'm absolutely throwing us in that uh, in that top two hunt. And I look below, by the way, just before I hand back, I look below Reading, Watford, Bournemouth. Those are the three others filling the playoff spots. None of them are as good as us. 
Well, Steve, what I mean, what what do you, who can we count in this promotion race and out now? Because it's it's time now to start saying yeah, they're they're not going up. I mean, Reading have played the same amount of games as us as us and are three points behind. Watford uh, are, are level on points with Reading, but they've played a game more. So both of those teams are, are six points off the um, off second spot at the moment. And then you've got Bournemouth who who finish off the top six. They've played a game more than us. And then and they are what eight points behind us now. I mean, surely we can we can count Bournemouth out at this stage, can we? I think uh, yeah, Bournemouth will be focusing on the playoffs. I mean, they won't necessarily give up on top two, but it's going to take a hell of a run now to get back into the race. So, as far as I'm concerned, if Bournemouth were to finish above us, then we know we're not going to get top two. So we shouldn't be even considering them as a as a particular danger at this stage. I would say so. Yeah, I think Bournemouth have uh, that bad run has uh, taken them out of the equation, really. And it's uh, two teams from five uh, going for those uh, automatic spots. Yeah, and it, ju- it just goes to show the importance of that win against Norwich because had that result gone the other way, I mean, the, the current two-point gap between us and Norwich would instead, of course, um, be what a, a seven, eight-point gap, something like that. Um, I mean, it would just be absolutely enormous. And, um, uh, you know, it would be very difficult then to see us bridging that gap with Norwich. Um, and they would have given them, of course, the confidence to keep going. As it is, you know, they've they've now gone four games in all competitions without the win and without scoring a goal. There's a bit of pressure on them and they've got us breathing down their necks and this this championship play uh, promotion race it's it's just relentless but it is so fascinating. Um, Do you know and- sorry sorry to jump in just there just as a final point. It's it's crucial to remember that when it's all said and done at the moment it's currently out of Norwich's hand. If <laughs> some Brentford win our remaining games they don't finish in the top 2. There is a long way to go before. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Norwich are top. Even, I mean, everybody's yeah. everybody's going to be dropping points. Even Brentford, who've who've gone 19 games unbeaten, they're going to be dropping points before before the end of the season. That no, nobody's going to go the rest of the season unbeaten, let alone you know win every single game. So, you know, there's, there's a heck of a long way to go in the see in the season. But, um, you know, the rate that teams have been dropping points at the top, um, it's it's just very difficult to see the chasing pack being able to to bridge that gap as far as I'm concerned. And while I wouldn't quite rule out Reading and Watford just yet, Reading, I think, have been very good recently. Watford have been pretty mediocre, but they've got good players, so can't quite rule them out. It definitely looks a lot more like two from three, like we've been talking. And I'd agree with them. I'd agree more with Steve if I'm being honest. I think I think Brentford and Norwich are the favourites to to finish in those in those top two spots probably, um, and and we're still probably outsiders, but only by a, a tiny amount. And so much it, we're going to learn so much from Norwich I think over the coming games because they'll have Buendia back. Does that com- completely solve their creativity issues and get them scoring goals again, or is there a bit of a, a deeper malaise in that club at the moment is there something is this a bit more than just a a blip and and could this turn into a bit of a rut which which could affect their psyche and see them lose a few more points we'll we'll have to wait and see in that stage they're still a very good um very good squad with a very good manager etc they still lead the table they're still the ones that we're chasing but um we've definitely made it much much more interesting with that win on uh friday um 
moving on now, boys. Um, before we played against um, Norwich, we obviously had the um, closure of the transfer window. Now, when we recorded the podcast, we were kind of considering, oh, let's just kind of look at the transfer window as a, as a whole because we didn't really think that much was going to happen on um, the final day. Maybe one or two signings. It turned out, Matt, to be a, a much, much more um, eventful one than we expected. And um, probably the um, the headline signing was was Paul Ariola from uh, DC United, who we are led to believe uh, is arriving in Swansea around, around about now, ready to join his new teammates. Yeah, um, he was the he was the big will he won't he wasn't he as it came to deadline day. Uh, there always seems to be one name talked about. Did you think? I think last week we talked about it being fifty fifty, didn't we? We weren't really sure if it was going to happen. It was looked like it was definitely happening. Then it was going a bit cold, and um, so to get that over the line, obviously, it was someone we were we were very keen on, and um, it's another you know he's, he's well thought of, he's well spoken of, and. Um, I don't know. I haven't seen him play, so I can't come with any sort of prior knowledge of of, of the man. But uh, when you've got someone you you're chasing, it's obviously it's nicer to get them and 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 see the player that you actually want because there's your your proof is in the pudding. Then isn't it? You you've got the player you wanted, and now you're going to put him in a position where you think he can make a difference. So um, there's there's more perhaps you know question marks over the other signings we made because they seem to perhaps be um, fillers for uh, maybe a future or, or injury crisis or anything like that or to fill a bench but Ariola was the was the certainly the uh, headline I think for the um, for the deadline day and uh, I'm excited to see where he fits in because mm-hmm. as, as 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 his compatriots found out it's not all it's not going to be an easy job getting into this Swans team at the moment Um and he may have to work his way in there. Uh, you know, you, you could even look at our existing options and the fact that Ryan Manning can't oust Jake Bidwell, even though Ryan Manning's always impressed when he's given a, a sniff of the of a first team action. So there's a growing list of people knocking on that door, which can only be good because it keeps the starting eleven on their toes. Yeah, absolutely. And um, well, one player, um, Steve, who's been brought in. Well, we're not sure really how much of a part he's going to play this season is uh, Morgan Whitaker. We actually paid money for Whitaker, which isn't something we do too often. Um, it's around about £700,000, the rumoured um, price tag. Um, I mean, he's worked with Steve Cooper before for the England um, youth teams. Do you think the former Derby striker is has been brought in to, to play a part this season or is he being brought in to look longer term? Well, I think it's for longer term, but that that doesn't mean that he won't play at all this season. I mean, I think he is only going to play though in the remainder of this season from the bench, or if we get you know an injury crisis, suspensions, or anything like that. Really, so it's definitely one with an an eye on the future. I mean, Cooper's got Lowe and AU, who he seems to um, who've been first choice really from the start of the season, and I think Morris was brought in to bring real competition to them, but. Um, yeah, I think Whitaker undoubtedly is is one for the future, and uh, we won't see a great deal of him this season. I wouldn't have thought. Yeah, I, I, you'd imagine that with Morris, and even Ariola was described on the official Twitter feed as a forward when he signed. I'm not sure about that, but you know we have got options up front. Um, 
one player Matt, who's who's surely only been brought in to kind of add depth in case in case there is an injury crisis is, is Kieran Freeman, uh, one cap Welsh international, former Sheffield United player. Um, recently signed with Swindon Town, made only two league appearances for them before the Swans bizarrely came in and snapped him up. I mean, this this was an unexpected one, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, there were a couple of 11th hour ones, which kind of left you scratching your heads a bit. Um, Kieran Freeman uh, was was obviously brought in, having only just joined uh, Swindon on a short-term deal, and he's joined us on a short-term deal, so he's, uh, he's ground-hopping a bit at the moment, but... Uh, you know, if he if he can fill a gap and 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 play a part for us, and you know, even just to make sure that we've got the cover that we need until the end of the season, and if he impresses and earns himself a longer contract in the meantime, then um, then good. Uh, the deal to send Garrick as part of it to Swindon uh, on loan, on the face of it, looks looks a good deal in the sense that. Uh, we've long been saying Garrick needs game time. He's just going to stagnate. He needs to be playing, you know, 25 plus games a season. He needs to be in the thick of it. He needs to be in a promotion battle, a relegation battle. He needs to feel all those emotions of playing every week uh, uh, for for the senior team, um, and and see if he can if he can make the cut. Uh, Makes sense until you consider the fact that his contract expires at the end of the season, which then means he's basically just. Is he joining Swindon on a free transfer? I don't know if in the meantime he's uh, looking to sign a new deal or if he has signed a new deal. I haven't read it. Um, but, yeah, it was one of those ones that looks a bit iffy on the face of it. Maybe there's something more going on behind the scenes. Let's hope we haven't dropped a ball here and sent a player with a few months left on his contract to play for someone else to see out his contract. Um, otherwise, uh, we'll, we'll be looking a bit silly. Um, and, and, of course... Uh, to add to the confusion about Garrick going, is is the fact that we've we've brought Joel Osoro back. Um, I know which one I'd rather of the two, but I get that Garrick needs game time, as I've just said. But uh, you either need Garrick or you don't need Garrick. And uh, Joel Osoro coming back, well, well, what's that for? Is, is, is he going to have a sniff at first team football now? No, it's basically because because he wasn't doing anything at Genoa and, and they didn't really want him around the place. I mean, I mean, Steve Cooper said that he's not part of the first team plans, which um, is about as blunt as you can get, really, with one of your own players. So, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, well, Joel Asora definitely hasn't been brought in to do Jordan Garrick's job then. Yeah. Um, that, that's quite obvious. I mean, Steve... You know, we've 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 spoken before in in kind of excited terms about Jordan Garrick. He's a player that we've um, all had high hopes for. He's had his injury problems. He's had drops. You know, his form has not always been there. Um, but I I don't know. I, this is the kind of player that I don't really want to lose for nothing either. I think he's the kind of player that I'd like to see us keep around on the you know in the hope that he will develop into the player that we thought we thought he might do. Yeah, I mean, I quite like Garrick. I've I've said that quite a lot, I think, on this podcast. I think there is um, something about him. But I think he's been unlucky that we've decided, obviously, to play with a formation without wide players. And he's not really had much of a look in them because of it. And obviously, we've been doing well. So, it's been tough for him. And um, I think he really does need um, first-team football. So, hopefully, he'll get it at Swindon. I think he did play in their game yesterday. So, yeah, let's uh, let's see what happens there, really. But like you say, I wouldn't want to lose him for nothing. I think it would have been great if we could have uh, got him on a year's extension at least and then sent him out on loan. But um, 
you know, I suppose there is the danger now if he was to do very well, then there could be a few clubs uh, interested in taking him and obviously he'll decide to possibly to move on. But um, yeah, I think he, he definitely needed a loan spell for his own development because he wasn't going to play here. So let's hope it uh, works out. Yeah, and hopefully we we don't lose him at the end of the season because I think we're all quite big fans of uh, Garrick. We'd all like to see him develop um, at, at the club. And um, but like we've all said, I guess hopefully the the loan deal at uh, Swindon will do him a world of good and uh, improve him as a uh, as a player. Um, I mean, speaking of kind of the off field activities of transfers. Um, one uh, surprise um, this week was a very rare interview from um, some of the people who run the club, um, Jason Levian and uh, uh, and uh, Jake Silverstein, who is a uh, new director since the summer at the club, um, spoke to a small group of journalists um, in what has become a very rare interview from um, from the owners. Um, Steve, I'll start with you here because you've been very vocal about the owners in, in the past. Did we learn anything new from this interview, do you think? Nothing huge, I, I don't think. Um, this interview should have been done when Silverstein came on board. Why it's taken this long, I don't know. And even now, they, they've they not really told us a great deal about him. Um, suppose the interesting things from it were stuff like if we were to go up that they weren't interested in selling. Obviously, that, that could be wrong. I mean, if they were to get offered a good price, but that wasn't something that uh, I was over the moon about, if I'm honest with you. Um, they, they said a lot of stuff that they can't really back up. So as far as I'm concerned, the proof will be in the pudding. Um, I don't really trust them as far as I can throw them. We're doing well in spite of uh, their, should we say, their their clueless activities previously. And the reason we're doing better is because they've been keeping their noses out. So long may that continue, really. But um, I've not changed my mind on uh, on them. I uh, ideally, I'd like them out, and I'd like better owners. But uh, obviously, that's uh, easier said than done. Matt, obviously, this the timing was no coincidence. They're doing it at a time when the Swans are doing very well on the pitch, and things are looking better off the pitch. Um, I, I guess moving on from what Steve said there, how much of that is actually down to the owners and how much credit can can we give to them? Look, you know, I'm never going to use the two in the same bracket, but um, it's not something you, it's particularly both from the blue. I mean, um, Hugh Jenkins used to do it a lot. When we were when we were riding high and doing well and climbing to the divisions, he couldn't keep his beak out of the press. He was there all the time. He was always doing interviews and he was chatting to everyone. Then the then the downfall started and you couldn't find him. He, he'd, he'd gone into hiding. So, um, yeah, it's not uh, it's certainly not something that's that's completely rare to see people jump on the bandwagon and like to you know lap up the plaudits when things are going well. That's uh, that's human nature, I think. Um, I am fully with Steve. I mean, you don't trust them, you want to change them, but not because of how it is now, but because the damage for me was irreparable from before. The fact that the whole trust sale and st- uh, the share sale and the not talking to the trust or hiding things and not and and still even after the initial takeover that there was still damaging components uh, of of the relationship which the trust are coming forward saying they still haven't responded to this they still haven't given us that they haven't spoken to us about this since this date um the legal action seems to be continuing in the background and um it looks like that inevitably is going to be how it how it all 
shit, you know, plays out in the end. But um, as far as if you tuck, which you can't, it is irreparable. If you tuck those years away and took the last um, 12 months on, on its own, you'd have to say we've sold our better players, but we've reinvested and made the squad better as a result. Um, they have backed Cooper. They have allowed him to bring in players. Yes, you said we spent money on Whitaker. We spent um, we spent money on Jamal Lowe in the summer. Uh, we've we've managed to tie down a few players on contracts who were who was coming up to the end of them. Who would perform this season, and um, and and look at the players we've got in. I know we've got a lot of loan signings in, but we've they've they've sanctioned the moves of these players who are. You know, who are, who are taking, who are propelling us up to the top end of this division, which ultimately is where we all want to be. So, if you if you take the last, you know, year, the season alone at face value, you have to say that they deserve their part in credit just on the basis that they've appointed chairman, as you said at the start, or whether it was a pre pre recording, or they've appointed the chairman who who are doing the business and have kept their. Uh, their their faces out of it now because they know they know nothing about the sport. Maybe, maybe it's that's bit, true. It's you know? it's a bit of a weird way to compliment them, isn't it? Saying yeah. like, oh yeah, they've done the right thing by appointing other people to do their job better than than the way they it's were. A, doing it's it. acknowledgement, they, isn't it? I think it's acknowledging that they don't know and they realise. Hang on, hang on, yeah. Okay, I'm no longer confident that I know what I'm doing. So I I'm think just the best. Make sure. The best thing you can say about them is, I guess, that they, they've delegated well um, over the yeah. last year or two, basically. And, and the appointments they've made of ch- as chairman have taken a, a lot of the stress off of them because they've got people who actually understand football and have a better understanding of how to run a championship football club is now making the big decisions which define the club's future. And, and they're allowing the people to make those decisions who they know are a safe pair of hands. You know, the, 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 the committee was appointing or rather interviewing new managers. Now, it wasn't Kaplan and Levy and sitting on the table, you know, talking about soccer with potential candidates. Uh, it was, you know, it was Leon Britton. It was, it was players who and, and, and people who knew what this club meant and what we needed to be doing and, and which direction we need to be heading. And you couldn't just appoint any old manager this wasn't a, you know, give it to Big Sam and he'll get you through the division kind of job. This was a, we play a certain way and we need to have possession-based football. So it was, like you say, it's it's about the art of delegation um, and, and making sure that they're not just throwing money at, at, at bad things because they, 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 they're, they're focusing on the wrong areas. At least they're saying, right, we've got this month, summer money, do best with it what you can. And, and it looks like we're doing that. And um, Steve, I, I was looking at kind of social media and stuff and seeing what the reaction was to, to this interview. And I guess it's it's one of the biggest things that struck me about this because I, I don't think there was much really garnered from the interview, really. I mean, like you said, they, they discussed saying that they were here for the long term. They wouldn't just sell when they got the Premier League. I mean... We'll wait and see on that. On that one, we'll you know if if a big offer comes in that gives them a way out of the club, I'm sure they'd they'd consider it at the very least. Um, uh, and you know one or two other minor issues, but there wasn't too much new re- new bombshell stuff there to to discuss. But I just looked at the response online, and I guess the response was much more muted than than what we've traditionally seen when they have made any kind of comment in the media. 
I, 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 you know, I wrote the column in the Evening Post this this week saying basically that they're never going to be, you know, the most popular people. There's still a massive amount of distrust there. They've still got a heck of a long way to go to get fans on side. But do you think we've reached a point now where fans are a bit more tolerant of their presence at the very least? Yeah, probably. I mean, if we're being honest, um, how can I put this? When the club are doing well, then these things tend to fade into the background a little bit more because a lot of fans are only interested in what goes on on the pitch. And obviously that I can understand that as well. So, yeah, I, th- I think they're, they're sort of getting away with it at the moment. I think if we, uh, you know, if you look at someone like Hull, for example, who have been shocking the last few years, and it is down to the owner, obviously there's been a lot of apathy there and uh, people not turning up. And when they were, they were protesting. They've sort of got away with that one down here because we are winning. So that's probably why, um, you know, the, there was a more muted response. I mean, if we were in the, the bottom half of the table and all this kind of thing, uh, I think the reaction would be different. So, yeah, they've, they're getting away with it. That's probably the way of uh, looking at it. And that's the reason why uh, there was a muted response. Would you want to hear more? interviews from them on a more regular basis or should we be glad that we don't actually hear much from the other side of the pond these days i think as soon as they the transfer window august 2018 when we sold four players and they gave us the biggest load of drivel statement as an explanation i think i was at the point then when unless they were going to say the golden phrase we've sold up i didn't really want to hear from them ever again because I just thought you are talking shit. It's just completely irrelevant what you say anymore because we just don't trust you. It's completely gone. And uh, what, what's the point in wasting our time? Basically, they should be speaking a lot more and giving a lot more substance, but just not going to do it really. So I'd rather they just, uh, well, obviously, I'd rather they left. But at the same time, I'd rather they just kept their nose out. It's as, uh, as simple as that. Yeah, it's a bizarre I'm phenomenon, isn't it? I mean, why do we need to hear from chairman at all? What's the, you know, I mean, the manager should be having a fair say in the transfer targets, who he wants and stuff. The game is controlled by the manager and your players you want to hear from because they're involved in the game. Your chairman, he's, he's your businessman. He's the boring numbers in the background guy. He's, you know, he's the one who's trying to get contracts signed. That's, but that stuff this, matters, doesn't it? That stuff it matters. matters. It matters. The, the, the club, the club day, etc. But... You want you want to know that the club is heading in the right direction off the pitch as well as on the pitch. The two things are, are, are not always, you know, they, they they don't live in isolation. They are they are linked. And obviously, you know, we don't we want you know this club has a has a history of fans holding owners to account as well when they when they do not run run things properly so I, in that sense surely it is important that we do hear um you know have a have a decent idea then of what is going on behind the behind the scenes and and why decisions are being made that way but then i think again i think it's something that down to a footballing layer. Well, how is it going to affect the match day experience? Anything that that happens there can come from the manager. If he says, you know, at the end of the day, we're running on a tight budget, we've got to sell a couple of players. I mean, those are things that sometimes you hear managers say in, in conferences anyway, that they, they, they'll get a, give an insight to that. And I feel like this chairman, obviously this football, oversaturation of football, 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 isn't it? In, the, in, in this Sky Sports era, and we've got, everything we want to hear from every facet of every club but for me personally I mean 
chairman talk a lot of guff anyway. I, I only want to really hear from them when they, um, you know, if they've decided to part ways with a manager or they, they've decided on who they're appointing as manager. Apart from that, I mean, how much are they going to be prepared to put out in the public domain anyway? Are they going to say we're actually running massively in the red so we need to sell everyone on the cheap? Because that's really bad business acumen. So I think you've got to take what they say with a pinch of salt if you're looking for um, how the state of the club is on and off the pitch because they'll put out a picture that they want the public to hear. Yeah, that's ve- that's very true, isn't it? Um, and uh, yeah, well, I, I guess the the big news from um, from those interviews is we tend to agree there wasn't that much news. Um, and um, you know, but but always, I guess, always a, co- a conversation starter whenever the uh, the owners do uh, actually make any kind of public comment. Uh, moving back onto the pitch, where we uh, want to keep our focus really, because we've just uh, played the top team in the championship. Now we're getting ready to play the top team in the Premier League. Man City coming back to the Liberty two years after that uh, controversial FA Cup fixture, which we'll uh, get on to discuss in a bit. Um, Steve, I'll start with you with this one. We are getting ready to play against a team that has won 14 games in a row in all competitions uh, and has just beaten Liverpool 4-1 at Anfield. Should we be scared? Um... Don't know about scared, but concerned, probably, yes. Um, you know, we've seen a few of these runs in recent years from Man City, haven't we, where, you know, they, they go on, they, they basically seem to beat everybody in their path, and and obviously they dish out hide-ins as well. It's not usually 1-2-0, and two nil, is it? They, I remember a few, they, I think they beat Chelsea 6-0 in one game, as their heaviest defeat in about 30 years. So, yeah, it's, um, there's, I know you said earlier about it was a good time to play Norwich, I think this is a bad time to play Manchester City, but um, <laughs> at the same time, they probably are going to make changes. I mean, there'll be a lot of players today that um, that will play and that probably will not play on Wednesday night. Obviously, the, the squad that they've got, um, there will still be a very strong side out there. But um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a tough game. We've got nothing to lose as far as I'm concerned. I think we should play more or less our strongest 11, maybe make the odd change with the likes of I'd give Morris a game, for example, if Smith is fit, get him back in, get some minutes. Um, Cabango, I'd bring back in. I'd probably play Manning. But, um, yeah, the rest, I'd probably play um, a full side because the fact is, if we don't play a full side, then we are running the risk of a hiding and we don't want that either. So, yeah, we've, we need to take it seriously because of the, the quality of the opposition, really. Um, but I think we're very unlikely to get through. But at the same time, I think we've got bigger fish to fry. This isn't really a year for the cup. I mean, can you imagine we got to the final or we won it, and um, which is very unlikely anyway. But then we couldn't even go. It would be one of the greatest moments in our history. And um, obviously, we, we wouldn't get to see it, so it would be hollow. So, yeah, for me, I uh, this is a good time to sort of bow out of it, but I hopefully we'll, uh, we'll give a good account of ourselves. But ultimately, uh, City will go through. I think it would probably be the best for us. Well, Matt, if if City, you know, are bound to go through, what's the point of us playing our mm. most, um, you know, our best players and, and knackering them ahead of, uh, you know, a, a long trip up to Sheffield on on Saturday? I'm not, I'm not 
I'm not feeling as uh, as negatively about the game, if I'm honest. I think it, it, it not. I don't say Steve's talking negatively. It's like it's unfair. I think I, I'm looking at it a little bit more with an optimistic eye. Then put it that way, because I I feel like um, we're bouncing. Obviously, we've just we've just won a top of the table clash ourselves. It promises to be a very very good game because. I mean, we're very difficult to score against. Now, Man City are a completely different proposition to anything we faced in the Championship this season, good or bad. Um, but you have to weigh into that as well, that they will undoubtedly make changes. They are now, after today's result against Liverpool, sniffing uh, return to the, the title for them. You know, it's, it's clearly in their hands there. They don't want to do anything silly that could bring the likes of Liverpool, Leicester and, 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 and the others into... Uh, into a race again to make them think that Man City is slipping up. So I do feel like they go into play um, a weakened team. I think there will be six or seven changes from the team that's played against Liverpool today. Um, but again, they'll leave some you know big hitters on the bench uh, if it if it isn't going their way. Um, and and I and I agree with Steve in the sense that you know two or three changes aside, we should go for it. Um, there's nothing. You know, it's, it's you know it's eleven v eleven. At the end of the day, they have a, a vast squad that could you know they could walk their second team could walk into most first teams. Um, but at the end of the day, it, 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 every game starts nil nil, and we've got to go into it thinking that we can get something out of it. Otherwise, like you say, what's the point? So um, I, I would I would look at this as an opportunity, particularly as. Um, and, and, and I'm wary of the focus being taken off the league. I don't want that because obviously that's our main focus. But winning breeds confidence, and there's no such thing as a you know as a as a, as a, as a bad victory in football. So you've got to have confidence going into each game. Now taking a hiding against Man City will do nothing for our confidence, or necessarily you've got this big black mark in the middle of this great run we're on which may knock the players who at the moment are trying things and making things happen because they're, they're brimming. Um, so go for it and run them as close as we can. If we can get as close to them as we did two years ago, uh, where we should have won the game 2-1, um, as, 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 as we know, um, then, uh, then it'll be a proud day again. We can you know, say that we can you know, hold our own against looks like could be the Premier League champions this year is um is a proud thing and as I said earlier on there's plenty of players we're not going to be even if we make a few changes there's players who arguably fight for that first team spot they're not a second string team you know we, we've got players who will be if they do come in will be looking to stay in that starting 11 so they've got a point to prove and, and the, you know, the, any players that come in for Man City will probably have the same kind of opinion. They'll want to be playing in the Premier League and Champions League games too. So, you know, a, a goal against Swansea won't won't harm their chances. Although, you know, Pep Guardiola, in fairness to him, he does tend to take the cups quite seriously. I'm just looking back to their third round um, tie against Birmingham. So a, a team from the same league as us. Um, their starting eleven included João Cancelo, uh, Kyle Walker. Ruben Diaz, um, Mendy on the left and left back, Kevin De Bruyne, uh, Bernardo Silva, Gabriel Jesus, Phil Foden, and Riyad Mahrez all started that game. And then you had the likes of John Stones, Fernandinho um, coming off the bench, you know. So um, I, I don't think we're going to see the, the reserves come in for uh, Manchester City. Um, I mean, Steve, which, which players, if any, would you like to see play who have not played much already. I know you've named a couple already, but who do you think 
one well would you like to see and who are like who's how how much do you expect how seriously then do you expect Steve Cooper to take this game I think he will take it pretty seriously I I do think there'll only be a couple of changes um he'd be thinking it as a as a chance to show um how good we are and how how good he is as a coach really because it'll be his obviously we haven't come up against uh, a prem side really yet during his uh his time here so I think he'll be he'll be relishing this uh, this opportunity. So, I mean, as I've said, I, mean, I think the likes of Morris and Manning and Smith, I think they are the changes I would I would make. But we can't afford really to to go too easy because I would fear a hammering if he was to uh, make too many changes. So, yeah, I, I think for Morris especially, I think it's important he gets a, a start because he might struggle to get one in the league, and it gives us a chance then maybe to rest someone like AU who's played more or less every minute. So let's, um, let's certainly give him a chance. And it might be an unknown quantity and, and give City more problems because they're unlikely to know much about it. I, I'd like to see us play a stronger team as possible. Maybe one of two changes, like you said. But I'd like to see us really test this team against one of the best teams in the world. You know, there's no shame if we lose, but it, it would be great for some players who, who, you know, have not had the chance to play against teams of that standard and think of... Players like Mark A, Freddie Woodman, Ben Cabango, Jamal Lowe, they've, they've had very little experience of playing competitive football against players of that standard, you know. So um, it would be it would be good for those players and, and others, obviously, to really test themselves against one of the best teams in the world right now. Um, let's face it. Um, Matt, I'll come back to you. You mentioned it earlier, that FA Cup game. It's one of the most painful defeats that, or, or rather the most long-lasting pains that I have felt after a defeat as a Swans fan, which is strange. But I, I just think back two years ago, we were 2-0 we two up against the runaway Premier League leaders, are, are quite possibly the best team in the world at that stage, uh, in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. And just two big refereeing decisions went against us and cost us big time. I mean, it's. I still think. I don't know about you, but I still think back to that match and think, oh, what if? What if we had just had some, you know, a VAR there, or had, you know, a, a, just a referee which saw those incidents for what they were, etc. Do you uh, do you still have that kind of regret, or am I kind of just living in the past and <laughs> can't move on? Yeah, I think you. You know, I know. Steve in particular is very, very uh, passionate about this one as well. I do obviously feel like that was that was vintage ones as well, wasn't it? That's what's most frustrating is that we were not just beating them, but we were playing some delightful football. We were really, really uh, taking it to them. And the uh, you know the second goal, the the, the Selena goal. It's just it's just a, a piece of art, you know. You just want to replay it over and over again from the back to the front. Uh, you had Dan James involved as well. It was I think it was Dyer involved, and it, it, when it gets to Selena and he kills it top corner as well, you're just thinking, this is it. This is perfect. This is like, you know, you're looking at playoff final kind of stories where you just remember it over and over and over again, and and you can still play that goal back in your head. Um, so it doesn't mean you know, it was talked about a little afterwards. It was the controversy of not having VAR at the stadium. You know, a couple of months earlier, we were a Premier League ground. We were far, very well equipped 
for it and they didn't give it to us and I think we were the only tie not to have it at that stage of the competition which in fairness to Pep Guardiola after the game he was very apologetic you know he knows that it shouldn't have been a penalty he knows that it was an offside um what can you say I mean it was it, it was the referee you know sometimes they bow down to the bigger teams we saw that in the Premier League when we were in there in that the smaller teams never get the rub of the green and that's kind of why I was excited about VAR coming in because you don't get that big team bias anymore um it hasn't obviously worked out as I'd hoped but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no you you know when you when you see when you think back to that game you just think you know how well we played and how gutting it must have been on the pitch at the time to not really know, you know, did Carter Vickers get the ball or did he bring down Sterling or was Aguero on side? Was he level? Was he? But to look at it back and go, if the officials had done their job and got the decisions right, well, who knows really? Because Man City would have had to keep coming and keep coming. Who knows what would have happened? But certainly those two goals would have been chalked off. So um, there is a lot of what ifs, yeah. Uh, I know Steve is uh, is going to follow that up with a bit more of a robust uh, response, I'm sure. And and Steve, how much of you know how, how much is revenge going to be on the mind of of the players going into this match? Because it'll be in the back of a lot of fans' minds. But w- will the players really think that way? Because in fairness, when you look back at the team, the law has changed in the last two years. Only three of the players who were involved that day. Um, are in any way likely to take part this time around, and that's Connor Roberts, Mac Grimes, and, and Jay Fulton. So, but do you think for those three players anyway that that you know they'll want to make up for for the injustice of two years ago? I'm sure it'll get mentioned. I mean, as you say, there's there's not that many of them still here, and obviously the manager has changed as well. So, yeah, it, it, it'll be mentioned, but I don't think it'll be like a huge thing of. Uh, of revenge, obviously, to, to for us, it's a little bit different because it's it's a game we, that stands out, really, isn't it? As probably one of the biggest ones of injustice in our time following the club, really. And obviously, it was in the stakes were pretty high. It's it's hard not to look back, isn't it? And think, God, we could have knocked them out, obviously, on an, another day. And obviously, we were unlucky to do not to do so. And obviously, Brighton were waiting in the next round, and potentially Watford in the final would have had a genuine chance of winning the cup and that might never happen again in our lifetime. So yeah, I, I am still bitter about it. Would I like to knock them out? Um, probably like revenge in a different way as I think this season, it, it wouldn't have the full effect really, but um, yeah, it's uh, it is a defeat that, uh, that plays on my mind. It's, it's definitely one of the, probably the top three games of the Swans that I would like to change uh, the result. So that probably says was, a lot after 25 years. What are the other two? Um, any defeat against Cardiff will spring to mind. Um, <laughs> Napoli away, I would like to change the result because I think that's another one where I don't think we were, obviously we were robbed, but I think we were very unlucky not to get well, through. Yeah. We were going through with about 10 minutes left in that. Yeah, you exactly. Have scored. I think Borny missed the chance as well, didn't he? Yeah. Um, so that's one I always look at and think, we might never play in Europe again, and we were so close to getting through. So yeah, that that's probably the one I would change more than Man City, but then it probably is the Man City one. I I do are uh, the Man City one. When you think we we were playing, we were a Championship team 
playing against the best team in the world, quite possibly, at that stage. If, if not the best, then definitely one of the top three teams in the world um, that season. Um, and and we were leading 2-0, and with a chance to go to semi-final, and when you look at the other teams that were involved in the uh, in the, in the the FA Cup that season, um, I, I yeah, the likes of Wolves, Watford, I think Southampton may have been there. Or, no, I'm not sure about the last one. No, but... it was Wolves and Watford was the other set. Was the semi final we wouldn't yeah. have been involved in, but we would have had Brighton in the semi final. Brighton, I mean, that would have been an, a winnable game against Brighton. Yeah, Brighton were having a shocker at that time as well, remember? They really were. Chris Hooten, obviously, um, like I th- I'm not sure, they, they barely won a game, did they, towards the end of the season? They had a few draws, and obviously they didn't go down. Hooten got sacked, and obviously that's when Porter went in there, but they were mm. badly off form. I think we'd have had a genuinely good chance of beating them. And I've always said, like, if. if... I, it's the one thing that I have not seen from my club. The one experience then that I've not been given by my club, which I which I really really love to before I died, is to see them play in the FA Cup final. I'd love 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 to just stand there with like abide with me before kickoff, etc. The whole pomp of the occasion. It, I you know that that would be like the last thing ticked off the list because like everything else, I've seen them play in Europe. I've seen them play in the Premier League. You know it's. But but to to see them in an FA Cup final would be like an incredible. That's that's what that's the biggest ask. I, I understand that out of everything on that list, you know, not not many clubs make it to an FA Cup final these days. But um, I mean, what? But but that that that's what makes it even more gutting, really, because for a club of Swansea side size, sorry, we don't get that many opportunities to go to an FA Cup final. Um, you know, in fairness, only one team from the second tier, in my memory, has made it there, and unfortunately, it was Cardiff. But but fair play to them; they oh, did. Millwall they, in two thousand and four. Millwall did as well. I'm sorry. Yes, I should I should have, yeah remembered Millwall losing to United. But you know, it it again, it doesn't happen very often. Um, and but there was a genuinely, you know, realistic chance of us making it if we got past Manchester City and. If, you know, if we had beaten Man City in the quarterfinals, that the boost that would have given us, you definitely wouldn't have bet against the Swans making it to that that FA Cup final. And it's, it is just one of those things. I I'm not sure if the you know if the players will have it on their minds, but fans will definitely remember the pain of that day and the the frustration of not making it through. Um, but there we go. We'll we'll I guess we'll we'll have to wait and see. I mean. In terms of predictions, boys, um, Matt, you go first. But we've um, oh god, <laughs> we've uh, our, our record against Man City is not particularly good. I warn you. Um, for, in our last fourteen games, we've lost twelve and drawn two, um, which is which is pretty you know pretty dire. We've only beaten them once in um, the whole time that we were in the Premier League. That was of course the first time we played them at home, uh, Luke Moore, and that unforgettable day. Um, I mean, can, can is that? Do you do you have do you think we have any chance of of beating that? Before we get to predictions, do you think there is any hope of Swansea knocking Man City out of the cup on Wednesday? Yes, and I'll tell you why. Because under Graham Potter, we played some of the best football we'd seen, you know, since you know Laudrup's pomp and stuff. We were just looking like we were returning to the Swansea City we were. But there were some games that season, despite absolutely dominating and, and looking like prime Barcelona, we just could not get over the line. I think it was Rotherham away with 
two late penalties or something like that. I mean, we just we were just getting robbed left, right, and centre. We weren't finishing teams off as much as we were just getting seventy plus percent possession. We were superb, but we weren't savvy, and we were very unlucky. Now this season. You could make a lot of points that look contrasting to Graham Potter's team in that we're not always that pretty on the eye. We're certainly not playing the sort of free flow and stuff on a regular basis that we were under him. However, streetwise, I've never seen us so streetwise. And lucky, yeah, you've got to say we get our fair share of luck. And that's what you need in football. You need to know how the game works. You need to know how to be streetwise. You need to know when it's more beneficial to go down under a challenge rather than try and ride it in an awkward angle and 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 take the take the uh, the foul or the, the the penalty or whatever. And I think we were a bit naive under Potter at, at that time. As as scintillating as we were looking back, um, we didn't get what we should have got out of that season. And um, and now we we we. Okay, we're not playing as, as as beautiful as we were back then, but we're very, very canny and we're very streetwise. And I think that'll stand us in good stead. And that's why, you know, why we are we're fighting as high up in the table as we are, because we're able to just do what needs to be done and, and cut out all the frills around it. Um, that doesn't mean for one second, I think that we're going to beat Man City. But if you're asking, is there a possibility, which I think was the phrasing of your question, yeah. Yeah, because because we now know how to play football. We now know how to win games rather than just go out and express yourself. You need to know the finer, the darker arts of the football match, and uh, it's something we've worked on clearly because we've um, we've we've reaped the rewards of it this season. So let's hear your prediction. Are the Swans going to join Leicester and Spurs as the only teams to beat Man City this season? Oh, I've set myself up here, haven't I? Um, <laughs> No, I think possibly uh, it'll be close. I don't think it'll be a runaway. It certainly won't be embarrassing. I say that and I touch wood as I say it. Um, but uh, I think it'll be 2-1 to Man City. Well, very close one. Um, Steve, I mean, you know, they, they beat Liverpool 4-1 earlier today as we record. But, I mean, Liverpool didn't have any centre-backs on the pitch and their, their goalkeeper was in a kamikaze kind of mood. Um, I mean, they're not going to come up against... They're going to come up against a very strong defence in the Swans uh, and a goalkeeper who's kept more clean sheets than any other keeper, I think, in all all four top divisions. So can we do what, what Liverpool couldn't? Um, it's never impossible, is it? But I think it's unlikely, if I'm honest. Um, I think we'll probably lose quite comfortably. I'm going to say 3-0 to Man City. I'm I'm going to go two 0 to Man City. I think we will make life difficult for them. Um, I think it'll be a good test for the defence. I I'm not sure if we've got. I I I just I can't. I, there's just too many things that need to go our way for us to to win this one. And it's just asking a heck of a lot against a team that's in such amazing form right now. Um, but I think it's going to be a good test for for our team. Even though I do think that we're gonna we're gonna lose it. Um, We'll just quickly look ahead to a much more winnable game, um, Matt, against Sheffield Wednesday uh, on the weekend. Now, on paper, this is one, you know, we're playing against a team in the bottom three. This is one that you'd expect um, us to win if you were just looking at league positions. But Wednesday have won four of their last six games. Um, they're, they're in good form, even though they've they've just lost 4-1 to Millwall. So, 
I mean, this isn't going to be an, an easy one, is it? No, you scared me with that before we uh, before we started recording. We were chatting about that, and uh, I was I was looking at the league table and thinking, yeah, you got to win these games. But of course, the, the the caretaker boss has had a good reaction there, and he's he's you know he's looking like he's fighting tooth and nail for uh, to get them out of the bottom three, which you know they're not a million miles away from doing now. So it is you know real. Um, you know, it's a different prospect to one if you just looked at them and saw them one off bottom. So it's look, you could say you could give out the old uh, cliches that you see all the time. There's no easy games in football, etc. But if we cut out the bullshit, it still is a game you have to win if you want to be taken seriously. I mean, really speaking, Sheffield Wednesday have, have done decent in the last few weeks, but they have just come off a hiding. Uh, to a team that haven't been pulling up any trees themselves recently. So, you know, we need to be looking at it and thinking, well, if, if you go there and win, you keep pressure on Brentford, you keep pressure on Norwich, and uh, you keep in the hunt. You go there and lose, and all of a sudden, you you know, you've got Reading on your coattails and stuff. It's a relentless division this year. The top three, we're going to see a high total, I think, because it's going to need to be a high total in that, there's no runaway leader who can take their foot off the gas because they've got six or seven points. There's a real threat for all of us that one of us is going to finish the season outside of the top two, and it's going to happen. So we're going to keep pushing each other, and that's going to mean we're going to keep forcing each other to go the extra mile to keep picking up points, which is going to, you know, is going to force the issue at the top. So, you know, the pressure's on us. I do think that to, to to keep up the the good form and the and 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 go and beat Sheffield Wednesday. Steve, Sheffield Wednesday have won their last four games at, at Hillsborough, and we saw earlier on the season that they you know can be very difficult to beat. We um, we we struggled against them when they came down to the Liberty, um, but but our away form recently, uh, I mean, we haven't lost away since um, that very disappointing no show against Derby County. Um, and since then, the performances haven't always been brilliant. Um, but but we've, you know, won two 0 away at QPR, won um, two 0 away at Barnsley. Um, we won three one away against Rotherham. So, um, you know, th- those are games in which you could argue that that the two goal um, margin flattered us. But but we found a way of winning all three of them, relatively comfortably in the end. And they weren't all easy games to play against. Um, you know, Rotherham in particular have been in really good form recently, but we went there and did a professional job. Is is that what we should expect this time around against Wednesday? Well, hopefully. I mean, it's interesting you were talking about a few of those games. I think in, in each of them, really, we've sort of managed to score at the right time, haven't we? You think the, the Barnsley one was just on half time. I think QPR was... Uh, was the same and then in the Rotherham game just as they were getting on top and pushing for an equaliser we managed to nick a third so I think we've got a decent chance of, of winning this obviously that like I say Sheffield Wednesday are on quite decent form but I mean as long as defensively we turn up which we have done in the majority of games I think you're right to point that to that derby game really has been an anomaly where for whatever reason we just had a little bit of a shocker which everyone has from time to time um we should be going up there feeling quite confident, I would think, even though, as you say, Sheffield Wednesday are on a nice little run of form at the moment. So, yeah, hopefully we'll we'll have a, a good approach again. Whatever happens against Man City won't change anything. And, um, 
yeah, we'll we'll go there hopefully full of confidence and and looking to pick up another three points. It is bizarre the um, the uh, that the difference that a, a caretaker manager can make sometimes. I mean, they've had Gary Monk and, and Tony Pulis earlier on this season. Neither of them really managed to get them going in in any kind of discernible way. But uh, Neil Thompson, whose managerial experience only involves stints in charge of York, Scarborough and Boston, has got them winning four of their last six games, including, you know, beating Bournemouth away, etc. Um, that's that's just mad for me. Um, I mean, Matt, one of the other things they've done is they've started getting um, Callum Patterson, former Cardiff player, scoring. Should we be concerned by a former Cardiff player in form coming up yeah. against us? And it's the kind of... he's. Callum Patterson is a very Cardiff type of player as well. He is just, he's a big, bulky guy up front. He's not pretty to look at um, on, on the pitch. You know, he's, it, it's very rustic, his style of football, but but it is effective and it, it kind of, irri- he's the kind of player that just irritates defenders um, when he's on form. Should we be concerned by that? Well, I've just, Wikipedia him and it has it down as a footballer, which I'm going to have to make an edit on Wikipedia's page for that. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, he's he's one of those players which is probably a nightmare to play against for everything you've just said. He's uh, and he's not a striker either, is he? he? What position he plays depends on what the team needs at the time. I think he's played all over the place um, when he was at Cardiff as well. So he's uh, he's certainly a, a utility man if you like in that in that respect. Um, but uh, I don't know if you've seen, by the way, I, I know you two have, but to the listeners, uh, his goal um, against Bournemouth, which uh, ultimately uh, got their manager the sack, I should feel. It's a classic <laughs> of the genre of goals. You know, it really he's, is. He's, he's picked out the centre of the goal <laughs> with absolute unerring accuracy. How it's ended up in the back of the net, it, it gets me worried for match-fixing because it is that <laughs> awful that uh, the whole passage of play um, was was assisted by Bournemouth and Patterson did his best to not score and still he managed to. And he, he is that sort of player as well. I don't think he scores uh, easy on the eye goals, but he's the one that just gets in there and just starts, you know, making a nuisance to himself in the box and tries to get a toe on things. So he's a, he's a different type of prospect. He's he's going to come for a war with Gehi and Bennett and... Um, and and it'll be interesting to see how that one plays out because you you certainly can't give him a sniff because he he thrives on making a nuisance of himself in those areas. Having said that, I think we're well equipped to deal with that sort of player. Um, we do have that kind of you know we're not like a a, a fancy Dan kind of bring it down and always play it out from the back kind of defence. We we make sure first and foremost that we are resolute. And we make it as difficult for the opposition to score as possible. And um, and if that means just getting rid of it, then then we're prepared to do that. So uh, it's always going to be nerves when you face a, f- a former Cardiff player um, to, to to score against us. We've got a a record of former players of our own scoring against us. We don't need our former Cardiff players doing it as well. So, um, but no, I'm he's an odd one, Pat. And I don't really know what to make of him. Mm. He is he is one of those weird players. Like he's he's when you look at him, you think you don't look like a footballer. No offense to him, um, and you know he can play in a variety of positions, but he st- he plays the same way in every single one of those positions. And it's um, 
and when you've seen play up front, you think you automatically think, well, this isn't going to work. You know, this, this he's obviously a square peg in a round hole here. Um, but but over the years, he's you know he's he's worked out a niche for himself. Um, I mean, he was loved at Cardiff; they absolutely adored him there, and um, seems to be um, having a bit of an impact at um, Sheffield Wednesday as well. Um, yeah, he's he's never going to be the most glamorous of footballers. He's never going to, you know, reach any kind of heady heights, but, um, but he, he'll do a job for you in this division. I think, um, Steve, I, I, let, let's uh, just move on quickly to predictions before we finish the pod. Uh, we've only ever won once at Hillsborough in our entire history. Are we going to add to that victory? Uh, I think when I predict wins, uh, everybody should, should worry because, uh, my record obviously isn't good. So for that reason... 3-0 Wednesday? Pardon? 3-0 Wednesday then? Uh, I wasn't going to go that extreme. Um, to be fair, if we conceded three against them, I, I would not be happy at all because, you know, they're not great. And defensively, we're so good. So it would have to have been an incredible off day. Um, I'm going to go nil-nil. Uh, Matt, nil nil against Sheffield Wednesday. That's the glamour of the championship for you there. Yeah. Um, we know Matt, Steve's done that because he doesn't want to jinx us. I think if you, you know, off the pod, you'll probably have a little bit more confidence. But you know, I get what he's saying. He doesn't want to jinx himself um, by putting us down for a win. I'm sure in his, his heart of hearts, he thinks that it's something that it, it is a game that we can and should be looking um, um, to win. And so I'm going to, you know, stick my neck out and put a 2 0 Swans win on that. Uh I'm I'm gonna go for Joe, you know I'm gonna go for a repeat of the, the Liberty match. I just think there's something about Wednesday that difficult to play against. Um they're not in the worst of form recently and we'll be coming off the back of two very difficult games. Obviously they've been away to Millwall and they've got a big um you know relegation clash against Wickham in midweek, but Oh, I, I can see us being a little bit leggy after playing against Man City and it may just ask a bit much. So I, I'll go for a one-all draw against um, Wednesday. Obviously hoping we can um, extend our good winning run at the moment. But um, but we'll, well, that that's going to be a difficult one you'd imagine. I can't see it being pretty. Um, quite an attritional one. But... You know, this is uh, this is the reality of the promotion race. You need to pick up games uh, points on a regular basis if you want to keep going at the top. Well, that's uh, brought an end to an absolutely packed podcast. Uh, looking back at the Norwich game, looking ahead to Man City and Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, please join us for our next pod after the Wednesday game, uh, when we'll be looking back uh, at um, both those games that we've discussed. Uh, but until then, thank you very much for joining us. Mm-hmm.